Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is another joint episode. Uh, this is Joy Rose with the Journey Forward with Joy Rose podcast, and I'm here with my fiance. Dr. John with the Evolved Caveman podcast. And we have been wanting to do more short, shared and joint episodes together, and we had had some ideas of the things we wanted to talk about. And now here we are doing an episode that wasn't at all on our agenda, but nonetheless feels really important to share both to get through uh, the personal journey that we're on, but also to be able to put that into service of the work that we do in both showing up in authenticity, but also how to get through life when it's hard, when those curveballs hit that you just didn't see coming. So John, do you want to take it uh, from here a little bit before we kind of go into a joint conversation of today's sure. conversation. So as you know, we had an amazing epic trip to three countries in Africa, South Africa, Kenya, and Tanzania. And there's some episodes that we need to do there yes. about what we experienced. And we got home on October 18th. On the afternoon of October 19th, I got a knock on my door. I opened the door. It was two policemen. They said, are you John Schinner? I said, yes, I am. They said, do you mind if we come in? I said, sure. They said, do you have a son named Brett? And I said, yes, I do. And the officer said, he's dead. And I sat down and they tried to console me a little bit, asked if they could call clergy. And I said, no. And they stayed around for a couple more minutes and then they left. The worst and, fear of any parent. Yeah, my son was 23. He was living up in Chico. He died in his apartment bedroom, in his bed. Um, we don't know the why. It's just speculation at this point. Um, I assume that it involved an accidental overdose. I'm not sure of what substance, but... He did struggle with addiction. Um, and I, I just kind of stumbled around in shock for a few minutes and then thought, I got I to gotta call someone. And so I called you and I just said, Brett's dead. Yeah. And it was, I don't even know. I was just in shock and denial. And then I had to make the calls to my ex-wife and my children and let them know. And Molly was at her senior portrait photo shoot. So I waited till after she got done with that. And then you came over and I told Molly when she got back and that was, mm -hmm. that was rough. Yeah. Um, she said, you know, there must be some mistake. There must be some mistake. And then started sobbing. And we, sob together um and so in an effort to help me with my grief and and in dealing with this tragedy um 
I felt the need to do this podcast in order to teach people about grief and what it's like to be in it and how to, I guess, get out of it more quickly in a sense, but how to make meaning, how to find meaning in it, how to, you know, ask yourself, what are the lessons I'm supposed to learn yeah. in this? Because when you make meaning of it, it doesn't necessarily take the pain away, but it does reduce the pain. And it is helpful because yeah. that, then at least in this case, his death won't have been in vain. Right. Well, and, and we do know David Kessler, who did all the great work with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on grieving and death and dying, most recently came out with a book, I think during COVID, on the sixth step of grief, which he previously with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work, thought it was acceptance. But with her family's permission to continue the research in that field, really discovered, no, it's it's making meaning. Mm. And that was what that whole book was about. And so it's spot on with what others have, you know, come through in the research to say, this is the actual next step and final step of grief. Yeah. And even those, those five stages <clears throat> that go by the acronym DABDA, uh, so what is it? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And then you're saying there's a sixth one meaning. Um, those have been challenged in the sense mm -hmm. that those were what people, the stages people faced when they were looking at their own deaths right. and not so much when you're dealing with the death of a loved one. And I think that we in psychology kind of took it and ran with it and over applied it. I, I think yeah. there's some overlap, um, sure. but I guess, you know, so yeah, I think I just wanted to share some of the things that I've experienced um, because I, I think the typical male response and perhaps masculine response is, I don't want to feel this. I want to run away. I want to numb out. I want to hide from it. I'm going to bury it and I'm going to head back to work. Yeah. Well, I... I was expecting you to do that knowing that's the natural one of just self-protect and not feel. And I have been incredibly humbled to have been by your side for as many moments of those that I could. And you let me in quite deeply and obviously we're in relationship, but it could have very easily been one of those things where you self cocooned completely. And I really commend you for both you and Molly letting me in for such intimate emotions that though I am your family, this still wasn't my son. And I didn't always know how my presence was going to be needed or wanted. And it was the best thing, I think, for you guys to allow such intimacy of presence and I imagine at times that was also hard. Well, and I'm incredibly grateful for your ability to just hold space to feel whatever I was feeling without yeah. judgment. And, and that's one of the things that I've been practicing. The whole thing feels like the ultimate mindfulness exercise that, you know, I'm trying to allow whatever's arising to arise without judgment. Right. Um, and I've had to remind myself to breathe hundreds of times throughout the day these past almost two and a half weeks now, because um, yeah. it feels like there's an elephant sitting on my chest. Um, 
Yeah, I remember there was one day you and Molly both described the heaviness of just movement and walking that it felt like you had concrete feet. That was a very visual and to me visceral description of just the heaviness to get up and get a glass of water or walk to the bathroom or move from your bed to the couch. And, you know, the, some of the irony in this timing was when we had just gotten back from Africa with our therapist who you and I went to after um, we got back together uh, and had, you know, some really great connection in Africa and a lot of parallels of us and them both personally and professionally as couples and as partners and colleagues. But they also had lost a son close to the same age many years ago. And I know you were very grateful for making that point of connection with them the next day, hesitant because it made it a reality in talking about it. And you weren't really in an easy stage to even receive condolences. I had a field, those, some of them for you just and letting people know, but say he's not in a space to receive even the kindest of words because it made it too real. You weren't ready to accept yeah, that and yet. Let me, let me touch on that for a second because I, I, th- I to me, that was a fascinating and slightly odd response that I had the first two or three days um, where words started to get out slowly and people started to send their condolences very kindly and thoughtfully. And my internal response was, I don't want your pity. I Like, I don't, I don't want these words almost take them back. And it made me a little bit upset. And I had to kind of look at that and say, that's an interesting reaction. Like what's going on there. And I realized that I didn't like the condolences because the condolences made the death more real. And I didn't want it to be real. I was still in denial. Um, And that was pretty, that was gut-wrenching. And then I also had to look at, once I realized that, I had to work on radically accepting that this is the new reality, that my son is gone. Because I think that one of the ways we get into complicated grief is by resisting that new reality mm-hmm. and holding on to the thought, this shouldn't have happened. Why did this happen? How could this have happened? Um, and we just get stuck in the past. Can you briefly take a teaching moment and you just use the phrase complicated grief. You just describe what complicated grief is as opposed to regular grief. Yeah, I I haven't really, I'm not an expert in this area, but my understanding is that complicated grief is grief that lasts longer than six months Mm -hmm. and we just get stuck in it. And, you know, your mom said a line to me, which stuck with me, which is life is for the living. And that line is stuck with me. Um, and it's absolutely true that we need to find a way to continue living despite this, uh, this hole in my heart Mm -hmm. that was just created. And, you know, my belief is that that hole gets smaller with time and never really goes away. You always kind of walk with that afterwards. Um, but it gets easier to, to carry that burden. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to circle back to is I wanted to give Charlie and Linda a shout out and just say that their names are Charlie and Linda Bloom in Santa Cruz. They've written five books and they were a godsend also. Um, you know, they spent an hour with me on the phone with me and you, mm-hmm. um, some really kind and encouraging words. And then Charlie's checked in with me a couple of times since. And 
incredibly grateful for their their kindness and sharing their experience because it's uh, it's a lonely club that you never ever want to be a part of and yet once you're a member the people that can speak to it the best are those that have lived it yeah and they they were an incredible godsend. I know that that conversation was really healing and validating to your experience because people can say, "Oh, I've I've gone through grief," but I think losing a child is is a grief that is unparalleled to other loss and not to have a hierarchy of suffering. And yeah. you found great value in someone who'd been through it. And there were two things with I may that I observed mm. you taking a lot of solace in their words was two things. I think Linda said was one, you will laugh again, laugh and smile. Yep. Y- you will do that again. I promise you. That was big. Cause in the moment and, you don't feel like that's ever going to happen. And the second one that I think you really, and I kept reminding you of this. So I was really grateful as the, for lack of a better word, caretaker of your grief, right? During this process was they had said, don't expect to do anything today. Like if you get up oh, for weeks and it, yeah, it, it, and if, if you eat a little bit of food and maybe take a short little walk, maybe get outside for just a moment, that is enough. And that really gave me a lot of permission to become hyper protective of your energy and your expectations on clients or podcast interviews or doing anything other than sleeping. Yeah. And, you know, and I, eating. I think, you provided a lot of food. Well, and you ate a lot. This was a way that you <laughs> were, you know, working through this energy. You kept saying, my grief is burning so much calorie. Like you were just ravenous. I was ravenous. Yeah. The exhaustion of the emotion. Yeah. I think one day I ate six meals. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that I also was really holding space for coming from the Jewish tradition of sitting Shiva, which is the seven days of grieving in which you sit and you eat. And that's all you do is you just sit. And I had found really great value in the ritual and the permission to do nothing other yeah. than just sit. Yeah, we were joking last night about, you know, how dead on that ritual is and that maybe they undershot it a little bit and it should be two weeks. Yeah. No, no pun intended by saying it was dead on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it's and, so and I think the- I was just gonna say, I, I think it can feel a lot harder to go through grief without something to hold on to, whether it's a personal connection of someone who can validate your experience or, you know, whether it's a religious or cultural foundation to draw upon or spirituality. But I, I'm always a fan of ritual. And though I've experienced many de- much death in my life, it hasn't been for many years. So this was my first experience as an adult drawing upon this foundation and it was such permission. Yeah. And so let's turn a little bit to the emotions and the physiological sensations, uh, because I think that's, it's been interesting. It's my first experience with deep grief and it's been interesting to be in it 
and to be observing it at the same time, at least well, part of the time. I, I just want to say that piece in and of itself that you have the awareness or the meta awareness to be looking at it and curious about it is a, so who you are, but also is why we're doing this episode right now to yeah. share this, right? Because that meta awareness is I think going to help many people. So what yeah. was your, what was your, you know, embodied experience? And then when were you able to observe it? And when you did observe it, what, what were you noticing? Well, and to the listeners, if I repeat myself or if I stumble, you'll have to bear with me. I feel like I'm operating at about 80% of capacity. Um, so, you know, the, as I said, the first three days I was in shock and denial, um, did not want it to be real. Um, discovered that it wasn't just my grief I was dealing with, but also Molly's, my daughter's. Um, and not that I had a lot of time to think about it, but I didn't expect that because I just had never thought about it. I'd have never been in it. Um, and, you know, was kind of in bed and, and sobbing and just on the couch for several days and knew at some level that I had to get back into routine because I was desperate for some semblance of normalcy, some glimmer of routine. And so I think I got back to the gym after three or four days mm -hmm. and it was a really light workout. You know, I barely did anything. I think it was 30 minutes, but that felt good. It felt like, okay, so I can, I'm doing something normal. I'm, I'm getting back into a routine. This is helpful. But as far as the emotions that I felt, it was, um, there was grief, anguish, some anger, some relief because, you know, Brett's life had been largely one of pain and suffering. He, he had a very difficult life. And so there was relief that he was out of his pain and suffering. Um, there was a lot of gratitude, um, gratitude for where my relationship was with him, that mm -hmm. we had worked really hard on our relationship for about the past three years and we're in a fantastic place. Um, and I'm supremely grateful for that. There was a lot of gratitude after the first three days um, for the kindness and thoughtfulness um, and outpouring of love that we received. Um, and then we can touch on that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, there was exhaustion. There was tiredness. There was heaviness, um, difficulty breathing. Um, Yeah, what did I you physically physically feel in your body? So physiologically, um, it was constriction in my throat, so hard swallowing, um, difficulty breathing, but that was more about the tightness in my chest, the, this extreme weight on my chest, um, upset stomach at times, um, really heavy limbs, um, really difficult thinking clearly. And just the fatigue was amazing. Like it, it just felt like slogging through mud to yeah. try and move. Like the heaviness is not, it, it's there for a purpose. And, and 
evolutionarily, the purpose is to keep you close to home, to let people take care of you and nurture you back to health. Um, and so that was the sadness, the grief, the anguish. Um, and then occasionally there would be, you know, these thoughts, these angry thoughts of, you know, God damn it, Brett, why'd you have to die? Um, what were you thinking? Why didn't you test whatever it was you were taking? Um, there was anger at myself for not being able to protect him. And I know that's irrational. And yet it's part of our job as fathers. Um, and then I think there was anger at something larger, universe, God, for taking him at such a young age. Um, and I knew all those were simply emotions. They don't have to yeah. make sense. They're not rational. Um, and so again, I just tried to allow for them without too much judgment. Um, yeah, and as I said, I, like the dynamics, the family dynamics are interesting because I might be having a good morning on one day and doubt by grief, that would drag me down back into the grief or vice versa. And so it's not a matter of just dealing with your own grief. It's a matter of managing other loved one's grief as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think I've been. Can I, can I say something yeah. about that one really quick? Yeah. That, that was something that Charlie and Linda had also shared around you may not always be able to be there for Molly's grief as they had experienced. They couldn't have always been there for their other children. And I think that's, a really challenging and fascinating emotional dynamic to navigate because there were moments that you, you weren't available and that was okay yeah. because you were so in what you were in. And that's also, I I'm so grateful. I was there so much to be able to be there for Molly in those moments when you were too heavy in your own grief. And yeah. You know, so that support system to just hold the space for what you weren't emotionally present or available to attend to. Yeah. And it gave you guys both permission to be in your space without having to, uh, I don't even know the word, but it, it just, it was a powerful practice to observe both of you in your own space when you couldn't always attend to the other or you couldn't attend to her per se. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, some of the people that I first spoke to because the conversations are challenging um, when it, it first happens and I still have a bunch of conversations I've have to have with, with other people, friends and family. Um, and it, it requires bandwidth. Like it requires a little bit of energy. And so it's, it's, tough to come by at times, but 
so I spoke to Charlie and Linda. We spoke to Charlie and Linda. And then I also spoke to an old client of mine, a, a mom of a client of mine, Diana Woodbury. Um, and she has lost not one son, but two sons. And I was with them. I was working with the family when she lost her first son. Um, and it was, it was a terrible experience. Um, and what they found out later was that there was a heart condition in the genetic makeup that led to these two deaths. But she was saying that, that people were saying some stuff to her and her husband, Spencer. Um, and I really, I'm grateful for the conversation that I had with Diana as well. Cause again, the experience means everything at that point, but people say some, I, I think they think they're being helpful, but it's easy to say the wrong thing in grief to someone in grief much harder to say something that is helpful or supportive, I would argue. Um, and people told her and her husband something like, you know, when you lose a child, it changes you forever and you can't be there for your other children the same ever. Which to me is a really messed up thing to say. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge judgment. Mm-hmm. and assumption and, and, right and it's like you know you don't know me you don't know my grief you don't know mm-hmm. them I mean, maybe if you know them you don't know their grief and mm-hmm. how it's going to play out and and so she took that to heart her and her husband and they kind of vowed to each other that they were not going to do that and so they kind of it sounded to me my interpretation was they kind of put aside their grief when they were with their kids and then would kind of grieve on their own in private, maybe together. And I don't think there's like, that's different from how Charlie and Linda did it. That's different from how I've done it. I don't think there's a right way there. I think it's just, it's kind of whatever way you can get through. Well, and if I may make the observation, love that every day, every moment of the day has been a different emotional wave you've been writing. So there might've been moments where, Maybe you could say, I'm going to, you know, do this one thing. And then the next moment it changes. So part of what I'm hearing is the need for flexibility in how you show up in the grief, both to yourself and whomever you're with. Because one hard and fast rule, as I've witnessed, is not going to be able to be applied because there's moments within moments in which your, your mood, your energy, your attention, your focus, your exhaustion level, your sadness changes. Yeah. And there's sometimes no warning. There's no trigger, right? There's yeah. not always going to be an indication that you're going to have this shift. So. Yeah, it could be a thought. It could be a show. It could be like Halloween was really tough for me. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. And the waves of anguish and grief are unlike anything I've experienced emotionally before. Like they're so powerful. And. Yeah, I, I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, well, you know, one of the things I can add and maybe kind of go into more of, of having found such value in that early conversation with her, it almost felt like gave you some more ability to start receiving more of the condolences and that switch from the resistance and the denial around wanting it to be real to being overcome 
with how much love and support is out there for you yeah was also a big a, a big shift and that was beautiful to witness you taking it in and at times i saw that it was too much and overwhelming and yet when you got through that wave of emotion to sit back and the wow there's a lot of people holding space for me and my family for Brett's memory for this grief, for this love, for the impact I've made on them, other families, right? I mean, it just, it was beautiful to witness you receiving it. Yeah, thanks. And I think that's been a practice that I've been working on for several years, you know, kind of trying to receive love. Um, oh, I know. Believe me. I know. <laughs> from others. And, you know, honestly, genuinely, sincerely accepting the love of others and, and taking it into my heart. And one of the, you know, I've, I've been trying to look at what are the lessons I'm supposed to learn from this. And one of the huge takeaways is um, just that, just how much love and support there is out there for myself and my family. Cause honestly, it was quite humbling. I had no idea. Um, I really didn't know who was listening or paying attention or, um, and it turns out there was way more people than I ever, ever realized. Um, going back to people that I knew as a child, going back to high school teachers, um, friends, clients, uh, my men's group, men. Um, podcast, just, people who've been on the podcast. Podcast guests. Out to you. Yeah. And, and so I, I think one of the lessons is really working to receive the love and support of others. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the lessons is I'm drawing a blank on it now. Can I, 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 can mean, I, ju can I jump you, in with would, something? Would you, yeah. yeah. Would can you, you share what I mean, Africa, and as you said in the beginning, that's going to be a whole nother conversation for us to talk about because there was so much richness in our three and a half weeks that we got to spend in Africa. And you had said something powerful within a day or two. I mean, we weren't even home 24 hours before we found out about Brett's death. And the Africa experience was still very much with us. And you had drawn this really fascinating, I don't know if it's a parallel, but insight you gained that maybe this was some significance of timing of what being in Africa had shown you about the cycle of life or the circle of yeah. life. Yeah. And, and I think so, you know, when we were on safari, we would see, you know, kills from the lionesses. And, you know, one time they had killed a, some sort of an antelope and there was this drama that was playing out on several levels around them. The lionesses were at the carcass and there's jack jackals, hyenas, there's marabou storks, there's vultures. vultures, and they're all waiting their turn. And it just made me realize that even in death, we are giving new life, whether it's a tree or an animal or a human. And that, you know, one of the things that keeps me going 
is this idea that we're just, you know, basically energy living in this five layer meat sack. And I like the idea that that energy, that essence continues on after death. And I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. And, you know, one of my favorite lines from that is from Gandalf when he's talking to one of the hobbits who's, you know, really fearful of death because there's a horde of orcs descending on the city. And he says, you know, death isn't a door that closes. It's a door that opens. Mm. And I've always found solace in that idea that death is just the beginning to a new adventure. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what the truth is. Capital but I find T that truth. Belief comforting. Yeah, your truth. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, just that realization that we're each given a life. For some, that life is long and just. And for some, that life is short. And for some, that life is painful and difficult. And others tend to skate through life. Um, So, yeah. And and the other thing that I guess I've realized from all this is, and this was (laughs) pointed out by a 21-year-old client of mine who had a profound text to support me but he was saying that you know one of the things you've always taught me is that we use these tragedies to teach others so that they can get through it with a little more ease yeah which is partly why we're sitting here doing this conversation when i've only had four hours sleep and feel like my brain is full of cotton yeah well you're nothing if not always wanting to be in service of others you know one of the things that we have always done and, and and i've known that you've done this for a long time it's given yourself opportunities to feel more deeply when you're sad mm-hmm. and one of the ways i've observed you doing that is sometimes when you're sad intentionally watching a sad movie yeah or listening you, to sad music well, well i was gonna say the music part next because i think the music has really become a cornerstone of this grief process you know, I mean, the other day you said you made a grief playlist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, the, the, the capstone of that was I Grieve by Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Which was gut-wrenching at first. And then I got to the point where I could listen to it and get through the song to the second half where he kind of talks about re-engaging with life. And, and I, I really like that idea of, you know, grief is partially... learning to restore your heart yeah um and because i I do think life is a series of events where we learn to open ourselves up to connection with others and inevitably we get hurt or disappointed or let down or they die and we close up we close off to self-protect and i think one of the main challenges of life is to never let that closing off be permanent Mm -hmm. that you want to strive to open yourself up again to connection as soon as you safely can. And, and that's the cycle that just continues to repeat. And I see you cracked more open than I've ever seen you in a way of how you receive so much. I think that was something you had previously been in resistance to. So if there's any personal meaning or lesson to learn for you personally i think this has been a big one yeah yeah i think you know just receiving help asking for help t- 
talking about it with people, which, you know, I would kind of say early on that I'm, I'm practicing talking to people mm-hmm. because it was hard. Um, it brought up emotion. Sometimes I would well up, my tears would well up, my eyes would tear up, um, or I'd just start crying. And so I started trying to, to talk to people and let them know what had happened. Um, and you know, I was, there's a lot of things that I've realized I have to be grateful for. And, and one of the things was that I have this very large network of male friends that are really high quality, what I would say are evolved men that I can go to and talk about my grief and they can feel it. Yeah. And I actually have more friends that can do that than I actually have the time and energy to reach out to. But again, and I am so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been a, a carefully cultivated process. I mean, I've, I've sought that out for years and, and a big, a big part of that has been the podcast has been hugely beneficial Sure. in that because these men are all over the world at this point. And, and I, you know, I also remember, you know, I shared what happened with my men's group, I think like six days after it happened and that was tough and those guys were amazing and i felt a little guilty because i'm like this is their group i'm leading the group and yet i told them you know i'm sharing this with you because it's authentic and real and i would not be doing my job if i tried to hide this and pretend like everything's all right when I'm asking you to open up and vulnerably share what's going on in your life. So I'm trying to model what I want to see from you all. And you do that, but that's kind of why I'm sharing this. And they were exceptional. Yeah. And I I, I just keep thanking people for, you know, creating the space and witnessing my grief because that's all you can do basically. Yeah. And 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 you said something about, you know, grief needs to be witnessed. mm -hmm. And I was like, huh. Well, and and as as I've shared what's gone on for me over the past month, just with what's gone on in Israel and then with Brett's death, I'm feeling grief on multiple levels of a meta level, just for the suffering that's happening in the world, the uncertainty of the state of Israel and the safety of the Jewish people, that grief on this very meta level, but it's very personal to then have been so delved into grief with you and observing it and being with it and holding space for it. I think there's also something really powerful as the, the caretaker of someone in grief. And I just want to speak to that for a minute because as your partner, this wasn't my child who died and I'm incredibly sad and heartbroken for you, for Molly, for the future, like all of the things. And in not knowing where do I name that? How do I convey that to you without 
isn't my grief though. And yet it's very real mm-hmm. compounded with, you know, the grief of just the world <laughs> yeah. and to, to know when, and, and I think there was only one day in the past two and a half weeks where I, I had a little breakdown of what was going on in, in the world. And it was the only moment that I really needed you to kind of step out of your grief to attend to where I was at for the moment. And that was also appropriate because that was what was real and what was arising. Mm -hmm. And it's just this very delicate balance of also self-care for me to make sure I have the energy to take care of everybody. And that's always my role that I, I choose and I love and I thrive in giving and sharing my love. But it's also been a space of, I don't know how to show up here other than hold space. And so my, my point I'm trying to make is there's no supposed to. Mm-hmm. It's unconditional love and acceptance and holding space. And you and I have talked many times, I'm sure many times in our joint podcast episodes of how you and I support each other as partners is the question of how can I support you right now? Mm-hmm. And that's continued to be an ongoing presence for for us in this process. And, you know, when I ask how, how can I support you, sometimes your answers have been very dark and filled with anger and sadness. But I also know that I also can't do much other than say, I'm here. I see you. I'm right by your side. I'm holding space for you. You're exactly feeling what you're supposed to be feeling because there's no supposed to. No, and you've been amazing. Um, and it, interestingly, I think this process has brought us even closer together. Absolutely. Um, so let, let's talk a minute about people around us that don't or haven't responded well to this tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were talking about having different reactions to that. Right. And you know, one of the ways I've, I've dealt with that is I played this song for you, I think yesterday, the soul mm-hmm. asylum string of pearls. And there's a, a line in there about a, a preacher at a funeral who is presiding over the funeral and actually runs away from the funeral because quote, death is one thing that really made him nervous, which is funny. And yet I think for many people, it's absolutely true that death is the number one fear of most people on average. Um, The death of a child is even more so. And I I think that some people really struggle with dealing with the concept and don't know what to say. It can be too overwhelming for people. It might be too close to home. It might be too flooding. And so I've really tried to have little expectation for how people respond yeah and and when they respond at least at this point i i just thank them for their kind words their kind thoughts their good intentions um and try not to get too hung up on the particulars yeah and even if they don't say anything at all yeah what's one of my favorite phrases that you know kind of within buddhist ideology of expectations are the quickest path to suffering yeah and yet 
it's still real when someone's absence of presence isn't there. So both are true. Yeah. And, and you're right. I think it's so triggering firstly to so many people. And, you know, so if I, I just want to advise you listening, it's okay to not know what to say. And I often will, you know, when I'm especially doing couples work and talking about how to have effective communication and we always want to have the right words. I often like to lead with, if you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Like that is saying something. I, I think let, let's go over some of the things you can say, which are decent to helpful, knowing that what there's feel, a lot feel, what, what feels say. Yeah. What, what has felt good to you to hear? Um, I think when people say, I know nothing that I can say can take away your pain. Um, I know, and, and I haven't had this experience, but I know some people will get triggered by, you know, I know how you feel, or, you know, people will go into their own death experiences with death where they've lost people that they love. Um, I think that it's, it's really hard. I think, you know, I don't know what to say. Um, I'm happy to sit here with you. I think that people will ask, you know, what can I do to support you or what can I do to help? And when you're, when you're in the middle of that grief and anguish, you have no clue. Like you can't even think clearly. And so it might be better if you're willing to do so to say something like, what day can I bring over dinner? Mm -hmm. Um, Like put an idea in there. Something specific. You don't have to make a decision too much Um, or overthink. You know, and, and that depends on how close you are to the individual. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, what Linda said about you will laugh and smile again. Um, I think that was helpful. I think, you know, don't have any expectations about getting stuff done. Uh, try to be really kind to yourself or have great self-compassion. Um, I've never seen you do that better, Lev. You've been exceptional at that. Honestly, yeah, I, I know that's something that you know, did wasn't easy, but even just yesterday, you know, it was a hard morning and I encourage you to cancel your client. You canceled a call. Like there's no yeah. expectation to anybody else right now. And that's not selfish. No. That is pure self-care. No, and and, it's the ultimate get out of jail free card, right? You know, my son yeah. just died and then everyone says, Oh, you know, no, no problem. Like, don't even worry about it. And, and so, uh, I mean, it's, I'm joking a little bit, but it's, it's true. Right. And, and there's a reason for that. Right. Because well, and, it's brutal. And I, I want to come to this idea of humor for a second. Mm. Um, share what you've always defined the definition of humor. Humor is tragedy plus 30 seconds. Now you can argue, you know, how long the 30 seconds is that that varies, but it's and, tragedy plus some amount of time. Right. And that was something, I think it was a little over a week. And you were over here and we were having dinner with my daughter and you were beginning to laugh. And that was, you later on said, oh, okay. I, I feel that the, the heaviness that I have been under this weight is beginning to lift even a little bit because I was able to laugh and joke. And we're getting to that point where we're able to laugh a little bit more and more easily. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, yesterday we were playing cards and I was just beating your ass and you're like, sure, beat the grieving guy. Yeah, and, sure. Take advantage of the grieving guy. They can't even think right. straight or see right. And, and then I, you know, came back with how long are you going to use that card for? Which was funny because it was a card game too. It was yeah. like, you know, 
you're like the rest for, of my forever. life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, and to not feel guilty that you're yeah. laughing, even if you're laughing in some way about the situation, no, there's I think it's humor. Important. And I, ironically or not, timing wise, you know, here we are recording this, this mo- days before we're going to release it. But last night we saw Jerry Seinfeld and Jim Gaffigan and tonight we're yep. seeing Chelsea Handler. So it seems like some divine timing that mm-hmm. you had already had an entire weekend full of comedy planned for us. And yeah. we went out last night and it was a 70 degree night sitting on a rooftop bar in San Francisco with gorgeous sunset. And I, I know for me right now, the gratitude of those little moments are huge. Yeah, absolutely. Because and to not take for granted that, the aliveness or the vibrancy of the simple thing. And then we got a laugh yeah. and we laughed for two hours and it was so good. Yeah. And it, and so it creates this brief respite where you can forget for a period of time Yeah, and it's, it's priceless. Yeah. And, and it was funny because then we saw a friend of yours after the, the concert <laughs> in the line for the bathroom. And then she's like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm thinking of you all the time or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. There it is. Right back in it. Um, and not her fault. Not, you know, she did nothing wrong. But No, it was loving. And yeah. it was a reminder when we had had a few hours of no yeah. reminders. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I, I don't feel guilty about getting back in touch with laughing and joking and smiling. I, I think that's that's the work in part. And it's yeah. returning to the land of the living. And humor is, I, I place a high value on humor. I always have. Yeah. Um, it, it serves a, an important function. It you know calms our nervous system. It allows us to think in creative new ways, come up with new ideas. It's, it's connecting, and it's connecting. Yeah, and you know even Molly has been able to begin to joke about it. We call it death humor. Yeah. Um, and I, I think those that gallows sense of humor is helpful. It's yeah. and you know I've had that. In the, in the line of work that I do, we do. Um, I've always had the ability to laugh at dark shit, yeah, with my clients, and I think it served us all well. And Brett would want you to laugh, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of my one, you know, kind of just looping back around, and maybe as we wrap up, one of my favorite phrases again it draws upon my jewish tradition is may their memory continue to be a blessing and i've said those words to many people who have been grieving and it feels that there's this ongoing honoring so it's a way of let's keep their memory alive let's make their life be remembered in life not in the death and you know like you said, it's a doorway into what's next, but do, if you're spiritual, look for reminders to have them show you their presence, you know? Um, yeah, I think I'm going with butterflies. I love it. So whenever a butterfly shows up, to me, that's bread. Beautiful. And my spiritual belief is the more you look for that, the more it'll be there. Yeah. And I think anything we can do to find comfort, no one can tell us what's right or wrong for comfort, for security and making sense of my own emotions, safety. 
connections. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we talk about is pick the belief that serves you best. Yeah. And I think it's never been more true than in dealing with death. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, butterfly makes a lot of sense to me because there's that metamorphosis, right? Mm-hmm. There's that change of being from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, you know, for those of you that can handle the heaviness of this episode, um, it's helped you to put some words on maybe some of the things that you've experienced in your own grief. That's my hope anyway. Can I ask you a question, love? You may. How, how has this past hour of sharing publicly your grief, how, how are you feeling now than maybe how you felt at the beginning of, of this? How has this served you? It's, it's been difficult and challenging in the sense of, you know, I've been, I've, I've kind of felt some deep emotion a couple of times. Um, and I also want to model, particularly for men, how to feel. Yeah. And all of it gives meaning to my suffering. And that reduces my suffering. Yeah. It makes it purposeful. It's not random and meaningless. And so it's helpful. Yeah. Well, thank it doesn't you take the your, pain away, but it's helpful. Thank you for your courage and your vulnerability to, to share it so soon. I think it speaks to the authenticity of the work you and I both value so greatly is showing in real time Look, these aren't just tools I teach. This is what I'm using in practice every moment of almost every day. And, you know, for me during the past month to just have continued to draw upon those foundations in mindfulness and meditation, one breath, one moment, one day at a time. Don't forget to breathe, tune into gratitude, have self-compassion, accept what's arising. Th- these are the, the tenets that I fundamentally believe in. And yeah. This is not a dress rehearsal. We're, we're here to utilize. And so for you and I to share in real time, look, this is what we're doing to get through this. Yeah, it's, I think it's one, I'm really I'm telling this to Molly. It's one breath, one hour, one day at a time. You know, if yeah. you can't do a full day, do an hour. If you can't do an hour, do one breath. Yeah. That's the best we can do right now. Little steps. Well, and one of my favorite phrases is, we're already and we're already getting through it like we're mm-hmm. you know just having gotten through this past minute we're already getting through it you have a hundred percent success rate of getting through everything you never thought you could yeah so again thank you for so vulnerably being willing and open to sharing your journey in this and i am incredibly grateful to bear witness to you and it has deepened my love for you immensely and really to share our work with others in a yeah. really powerful, authentic, honest way is, is really important. Well, and, and thank you for providing the, the container for the last two and a half weeks. You've been invaluable. Always. Can't overstate it. All right, you guys, if this spoke to you, if you know someone who's grieving, please share this. This is important work. This is I think some of you not realize how important it is until you need it. And so we really hope that we can spread the word of 
permission for allowing all emotions to arise and exist, even the ones you don't like. I often say, you know, people will say to me, but Joy, how do I accept something I don't like? But acceptance doesn't make, or not accepting it doesn't make it go away. It just makes your resistance to it bigger. And whatever challenge you may be facing may not be as permanent as death. Coming to acceptance of what is without judgment is definitely a way to get with a little greater ease and self-compassion. So um, I invite you to continue practicing these tools that we teach. And if this spoke to you, um, please, like we said, share with others who may need to hear this or a rating or review so we can help be in service to helping others heal. Well put. Take care, everyone. Be well. <laughs>